It's wonderful, isn't it? That we have somebody that loved us so much and he cares for us so much. But um, I think the problem is we need to learn to love him more. You know, it's what God, Jesus said to Peter at the heavenly breakfast on the beach. <laughs> Lovest thou me more than these. Isn't it? And I think, you know, I think Jesus is pulling at the heart springs of your heart and say, I'm the one that loved you more than anybody else. And it's the love of God that's shed abroad, it says in Romans 5, isn't it? One to, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And that gives you the assurance in life that what you are going through, <laughs> you're, going to, you, you're going to come through it. Because God loves you so much. You know, and I, as I was thinking, um, you know, we said about those three great truths in Romans Justification, sanctification, glorification. And really, the Bible is just full of, of glory. <laughs> it's a glorious gospel. It's just so wonderful. And the more I live and the longer I look into the gospel and the good news, the more good news it becomes. <laughs> it is extraordinary good news. <laughs> in a world where there's nothing but bad news. You know, and really, you just got to get like this Apostle John. You know, the Apostle John, there were 12 disciples, but this John, he had a special relationship with Jesus. He did. He claved to Jesus. It says in the Amplified, he claved to him. And you know, um, I was reading this, it's in John 19, and this is Jesus now on the cross in verse 25. And this Jesus on the cross. And then there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, another Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and another Mary, Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Three Marys at the cross, looking at Jesus. And, and then when Jesus therefore saw his mother, it says, and the disciples standing by whom he loved. Every time that John writes his, his gospel, he talks about this disciple whom Jesus loved. And of course, that was him. <laughs> it was John himself. <laughs> and he had this special relationship, you know, and then it's, this is what he said. And Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciples standing by whom he loved. He said to his mother, Behold thy son. Then said he to his disciple, that's John, Behold thy mother. <laughs> and from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. You know, John had been with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd been with him before the cross, hadn't he? And back in John 17, you have probably the greatest prayer in the whole of the Scripture, what's called the Lord's Prayer, as distinct from the prayer in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the model prayer. And in this prayer, you understand, I, I, I can't quite get how John managed to, without a dictaphone, 
I don't think he, wore, <laughs> he, he wrote in shorthand, <laughs> and yet he gets the whole of this prayer, you know. But so John is so close to Jesus, he can hear him praying these words, and he records them for us. And this prayer, um, I know, I've got a volume at home on John 17, and it's got about 550 pages in it (laughs) on one chapter on John 17. And I don't intend to talk about it, (laughs) because I want to talk about the the glory of God. Because it says in this this particular prayer, um, this is the, the opening statement, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour is come, glorify thy Son. You see, as we read, if you read in, um, in Ephesians, it says, the whole purpose of the gospel is to bring many sons to what? Glory. Yeah, we are supposed to have the glory. What is wrong with the church is, We haven't got it. And there's one desire in my heart, and I hope it'll be your desire, that we would see the glory. Because when God turns up in church, everything's different. I mean, I was in Newark in 1958, and I experienced that glory. I've never forgotten it. I experienced the glory in different places and and how Capel and Cynthia's here, she knows, and David and Eric, and the glory that used to invade that little farm. Once you have tasted the glory, nothing else satisfies you. Nothing compared to the glory of God. It's tremendous. And you think what Jesus suffered, and what he did for us, that he would be glorified. So the Son of God became the Son of Man, didn't he? And here's Jesus having to pray in his humanity before the cross and saying this prayer, and I don't tend to go through all this prayer, but just to say this, glorify your Son with the glory I had. He came from the glory. He knew what the glory was. He'd been, and he came down to this. And so what we've got to grasp is that we have now got a glorified man in the glory. He's the risen, glorified Christ. He's our representative man because he had to be made flesh to deal with sin. God couldn't sit up in heaven and just say, I forgive their sin. He had to come down here and become a man in order to redeem us from the mess we were in. And this is the problem. So the glory of God, that we, we, our inheritance is the glory. We have this treasure, Paul says, in earthen vessels. And we're supposed to have it. But the enemy does not want you to have this. You know, I was listening to a young man, Lethley, who was in this big marquee, on April the 10th the glory of God visited a church in Qumran. It hit the place. And ever since that day, those meetings have been going on in Qumran every night. The power of God. I believe we need to see that power (laughs) 
in every life, in every church. This is what we need. We need the glory. Because when Jesus was on the earth, everywhere he went, there was a demonstration of glory. <laughs> you imagine the feeding of the 5,000. Think, and that was more than 5,000 people, wasn't there? Have you ever listened to a preacher that started in the morning and went to the evening? But those people just sat there all day listening to the teaching of Jesus, their mouths wide open. Why? Because of the glory and the power that came out of him. It was so marvelous, they just couldn't leave. Forget the toilet, forget the buns and the Mars bars and all the rest of it. Just sit there and let's get it. <laughs> well, when you get in the presence of God, time just stops. It stops. You don't worry about time and going out. You're in the presence of God and it's just poof. I remember being on this farm. I remember being with Roy Turner. Meeting started about seven. Still there at three o'clock in the morning. The glory of God in hitting the place. Why? Because in the presence of God, in the glory of God, is all the goodness of God. And in the goodness of God is every provision that you need in your life. So justification, if you can't take the sanctification process, you will never have the glory. Amen. You've got to go through the process. If Jesus had to suffer, don't you think we're going to have to suffer? We're going to have to deny ourselves if we want the glory. But do we want it enough? Are we hungry enough? Have we got a big enough spiritual appetite? Or do we feed on everything else? You know, there's a price to be paid for this glory. I'm getting a bit dry. Just get a drink. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the Lord is dealing with me. I don't know about any of you. <laughs> He's on my case to say, come closer. Yes. Come nearer. Don't you know, I, if you can be like the Apostle John and cleave to me, you'll get revelation after revelation. I mean, what is the book of Revelation all about? It's about the glory of Christ. John the Apostle had seen Jesus walking as a man. He'd seen him dying on the cross. He'd seen him buried, embalmed, and put in the tomb. He'd seen him risen. But until the book of Revelation, he'd never seen him glorified. He'd never seen, been into heaven in, in, in Revelation 4. He goes into heaven. And all the hosts and the worship and the power and the light. And John says, what lights heaven? No electric up there. It's the glory of Jesus. Amen. He lights the whole place up, it says in Revelation. The glory of God lights it all up. <laughs> the, the holiest of all didn't have any lights because it had the glory. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, I, I like some of this glory. Wouldn't you like some of this? Are you willing to pay the price to push through your old stinking man? And as, as, as Harriet said, he's gone. <laughs> that old you is gone. Thank God Gordon Davis died and he's buried. The old stinker's gone. And I'm now a new person in Christ Jesus. The old man can't get up there, but the new man can. <laughs> no, no, the old man can't get You can't take your flesh into the presence of God. That's the problem. That's why God had to put, uh, say, once a year into the holiest of only once, and put a big rope around him in case he messes it up, so you've got to pull him out in case he dies. <laughs> no. 
put a big rope around him so you don't go and then get him, you just pull him out. <laughs> yeah, that's the power and the presence of God. But God's not going to anoint anything. He's going to anoint people who are sanctified, <laughs> who are separated, who are saints, who are willing to pay the price to have the glory. And I tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth it. But the church has got its program. grinding the old wheel and we're doing this and the Holy Ghost is sitting in the back and and he's out out, he's like the black man who was in in southern America the beginning of the after the war and uh, they booked this man for the church and when the man turned out and they found he was black they said oh sorry we don't have black preachers in this place and the man was really upset. He walked out the door and the Lord said, don't be upset. They don't want me in there either. <laughs> no. <laughs> Some churches wouldn't know if the Holy Ghost wore a red hat and walked down the middle. They wouldn't know it was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all about me and my ministry. And my big ministry and me and what I'm doing in my program and I'm doing this and I, what about the Holy Ghost? <laughs> yeah, we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we need the glory. <laughs> we need the power. <laughs> and I tell you what, I, I, I'm believing for it. Yeah? <laughs> I'm believing for it. <laughs> I tell you what, we, we, you know, I, I can remember um, playing the piano in Outcapel, singing a song I've never learned playing a song I've never learned, singing words I've never learned, and everybody else is singing the same thing. So how does that happen? It's the Holy Ghost. No, we need the power of the Holy Ghost on our lives, don't we? But Jesus had to humble himself. He had to humble himself to be glorified. And this is the big problem, pride. Pride is your greatest enemy, and it's certainly mine. The Lord spoke to me about six months ago. He said, what about that pride? I said, what pride? <laughs> I'm not proud. Oh, aren't you? What about this? You know, when the Holy Ghost starts to put things on your life and starts to show you things you, th- you never knew were there, you see, sanctification is a process, and it's not very comfortable. But you've got, to, you've got to be willing to sit under the discipline, haven't you? You've got to be willing to be disciplined. A disciple is a person who's disciplined. There are a lot of followers of Jesus, aren't there? But how many disciples are there? That's the problem. Read Matthew 13. We haven't got time to go there. But Matthew 13, the seven parables of the kingdom, teaches you about discipleship. And I tell you, I read this, I wrote this down, this is what the Holy Ghost gave me. God created man to enjoy his blessings and share his love, wisdom, and power. God's will is to reveal his glory and his goodness in each of us so we can partake of him. And to be a partaker of God's blessing can only be accessed by continual dependence and submission to his lordship. And this takes, this takes effort because it means that it's not what you want, it's what he wants. Now this is a high calling. 
I don't say all of you will make it. But as I always say, if you don't teach people to the level that Christ taught, well, how in the world are we ever going to get up there? We've got to teach what Jesus taught. And Jesus says, and Paul said, if you suffer with him, you will reign with him. Oh, yeah. We talked about Joseph. He suffered, but he reigned. Didn't he? he because he suffered, he reigned. And he's a picture of Christ, isn't he? In type and shadow. And I tell you what, as we are God's creation, we owe him everything. You know, we sometimes think, I've worked for 44 years when I worked for 44 years, and now I've got a bit of a pension. And I think, well, you know, the law gave me that ability to work. The law kept me in health. And it's the Lord who's given me that. So everything I have is the Lord's. So when the Lord tells me to give somebody something, and I say, well, I don't think I want you, you give it. You know, I did something this week, and, and I got and I thought, I don't know which way. And the Lord said, you did it. You do it. Why? Because he's Lord. It's not about you and me, it's about him. <laughs> if you love him, you will do what he wants, won't you? And it's, it's this love relationship that we need. As Harriet said, you can't show, give the love of God to somebody when you're all messed up yourself and you've got this on your mind and that and you're be, being a bonnet about this and all this. And when you see somebody in need, oh, well, I've got enough needs myself. Forget about him. I've got to get on with my life. I haven't got time to mess with him or her or whatever. You're, you're so full of your little world. And the problem is, you see, if we can have this union with Christ, we will be all right. He says, this life God imparts to us is a continual process. Therefore, we must humble ourselves at the seat of the feet of Jesus. This is our primary duty and calling. To dry and live independently of God is to let pride rule my life. We've got to be careful here. And, and I think this is the biggest test for us because when we go home, we've got families, jobs, some of you, all these things, and to get that priority right is so important. And this is, this is the challenge for us. I know some people are set apart. Some people haven't got husbands, and some people haven't got children. And it's easier for them, probably. But God had probably called them to that life anyway. And, and, and God, man, because they are separated unto God, God can use them. Honey. Because they haven't got anything else interfering with their life. And you see, the, I, I'm coming to see that I've, as I look back over my life, when the Lord spoke to me and I was 24 in Oxford, and he said to me, I want you to serve me and forget everything. And I said to the Lord, but what about my career? <laughs> That's cool. And then stupid me thought about his career instead of what God wanted. And you find yourself going on a really long detour, you know, like this A14 business. You're going on a very long detour. And you think, when in the am I going to get back on the road again? But God is merciful. But, you know, when you miss something, like on a road or anything spiritually, you go on a bit of a detour. Pretty frustrating. The whole thing becomes really irritating. And you think, where are you, Lord? And, and you know, God is sort of hiding himself from you until you come to your senses, you know. 
And you think, where, <laughs> what have you been doing? But, you know, God is merciful. He's been merciful to me. And, and when I was down the pit, as I said, God began to show me these truths, and I began to... And I, I was having to exercise myself to get out of my pit. But we can get out. If you're in a pit today, you can get out. Oh, yeah, Jesus can get you out, but you've got to humble yourself. Isn't it? You've got to humble yourself. So to experience salvation and redemption in life, we need to humble ourselves and bow in humility before the Lord. Now, I want to read you a scripture. I'll give you a definition of glorification. I keep talking about this. Uh, I'll give you a definition. I'll give you it now. It's on the tape. Glorification is the full and entire deliverance from sin and evil and all its effects in every aspect for spirit, soul, and body so that the whole man is completely delivered. That's God's desire for each one of us. To be completely delivered. Because what Romans 6, you know, Harry touched on it, is showing us that your old man, because of what you inherited from Adam, Adam died spiritually. So what happened to him was, his, he was in the image of God, he was clothed with the glory of God, and suddenly, because he sinned and failed, death and sin and the curse entered in and he lost his covering. He became naked. He tried to put fig leaves on himself to cover himself. He couldn't. Jesus had to slay an animal, shed blood to cover him. A type of Christ, shed blood, righteousness covering us. And then he gives him a promise, doesn't he? You see, what Adam lived in is what's called the state of innocence. He was in a state which Milton calls paradise. And then he lost it, he said. But that state he was in, he had a perfect righteousness, but he lost his covering. And he lost the glory. And that's why Romans 3.20 says, we've all sinned in Adam and come short of that glory. right? But in Christ, we have that inheritance back. Understand? We have it back. Because in Genesis 3.15, he said, I'm going to give you another seed, not Adam, that seed. I'm going to give you another seed, of course, which is Christ. And, and he's going to crush that serpent's head and give you back what Adam's lot, lost. And I'm, and I'm going to give you more than what Adam lost, in fact. Because Adam was only a created being, but we are living spirits. We are a completely new creation. We belong to a heavenly realm, as we've heard. We, we have been blessed with all these spiritual blessings. But we heard last night that little George in the palace, he doesn't know he's a prince, does he? And there's a lot of babies in God's house, and they don't know what they've got. So our job is to teach them what they've got. Isn't it? To teach them what their inheritance is. To, to show them what they are in Christ so that they can grow up spiritually, develop their faith, and be blessed to be a blessing. That's the whole point of teaching. is to build one another up in the most holy faith so that you stand up straight. You stick your chest up and you say, I can do this. Why? Because of what I have in Christ. And this is tremendous, what God has done for us in Christ. 
Well, Adam lost all this, but Jesus got it all back. And more. And more. You see, now the religion says, oh, well, glorification is heaven. You get it when you get to heaven. Well, all religion teaches is carrot and donkey stuff. You know, the, the, the carrot's there, but in religion, you never get it, you know, because the jolly thing's right in front of your nose and you can't get at it. It's on a stick, you know. That's religion. But we have. It's like people say, I wish I could be healed. Well, you were healed 2,000 years ago on the cross with his stripes. You are healed. It's your inheritance. Isn't it? But the problem is, is getting that, our senses renewed by faith to see what we have in Christ. And without faith, you can't see it. Because faith is, gives you sight into a spiritual realm. Paul says, we look not at the things which are seen, but he says, we look at things that are not seen. Well, how can you look at things that are not seen? <laughs> well, you've got to have faith. <laughs> Come you? You know, he says about Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he could see the joy. He prayed it in John 17. He said, the glory I had with you, I'm going to have it back, and I'm going to give it to my sons and daughters. Yeah, he's going to give it to us. And I believe that we can have it. Do you know, it's a wonderful thing to have favor on your life. Every time you go to town and there's a car parking space, suddenly a parking space appears. That's favor. You go into a shop and that thing's 60 pounds, and the same thing over there is reduced to 15. And you get it for 15. That's favor. Oh, yeah, I, I've had it. It happens a lot. And then you, you need something, and then somebody says, do you need that? And you say, yes, I need that, and you get it. That's favor. That's blessing. Oh, yeah. If you can get into the glory, you get favor. <laughs> you get blessing. <laughs> I was in the business when I got blessed through Henry, losing thousands of pounds a week. I go there, and the Lord said to me, do this, do that, and then suddenly the whole thing turned around, and the money it was losing, it was suddenly making. Why the blessing? That's the blessing of God. That's favor. That's the glory of God. What was it upon Joseph that kept getting him to the top in the prison, the top in Potiphar's house, the top of Egypt? The blessing. But if you don't seek first the glory of God in your life, you will never have it. <laughs> if you seek all these other things, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he just adds it. He'll just add it to your life. You haven't got to go after it. it. It's added. So I want to read to you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. So look at, let's look at 2 Corinthians 3. So this is a wonderful chapter. I call this the glory chapter. <laughs> this is the glory chapter. And um, I just want to read a few verses in the previous chapter, starting in Corinthians 2 verse 14, where Jesus, uh, Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 14, 2 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest to savor his knowledge by us in every place. For, un, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death to death, the other the savor of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Then he makes this statement. For we are not, he says, as many which corrupt the word of God. 
Now, there's much of that going on today. They're making the simplicity of the word very complicated. So the people wonder. They look at this person and think, oh, he's a master class and that. No, the gospel is simple. It's very simple. You've just got to believe it in your heart and speak it out of your mouth. <laughs> and I know that's a problem for some people. If you look in my margin, it says, uh, for corrupt, it says, deal deceitfully with the word of God. The word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in sight of God, speak we in Christ. And he says, do we begin to commend ourselves? Do we need letters of commendation? We, and he says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, read and known of all men. Then he says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on fleshly table, on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart. And to such trust have we through Christ to God, not we are sufficient to think anything of ourselves, but he says, our sufficiency is of God who hath made us ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And then you notice how many times he uses this word glory. In fact, 15 times. He's into this in a big way. He says, if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of righteousness shall exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth, he said. For if that which was done away was glorious much more that which remaineth is glorious. Then he goes down, and you can read that next, and he goes down to verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, he says, with open face, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of God. We have to grasp that the old covenant, the glory, was behind a veil. The veil has been done away. But man has put another veil up, and it's a religious veil of the flesh. So not that many people are experiencing the glory because they, the flesh and them, and not Christ, his head, and that is their veil. And so they spend all their time in the outer court. Round a brazen altar. They never get past the brazen altar. I'm a sinner. You've got condemnation, guilt, all this. They're all the time sacrificing and asking for forgiveness because we're trying to deal with this. The justification says you're declared righteous. Through the blood of Jesus. He's given you this. You know, it, it, what Jesus has done is absolutely mind-blowing. If only we can get hold of it. The fact is, we're not supposed to be out of court. We're not even supposed to be in the court. We're supposed to be in the glory. 
We're supposed to be in the presence of God. We are children of God. We're supposed to have this glory, aren't we? But you, you've got to sacrifice, yes. You've got to present your body a living sacrifice every day. You've got to stop cursing people and shouting and some people swearing and, and, and you know, talking about people and running everybody down. You've got to sacrifice your mouth. That one inch below your nose is the biggest problem. You can't say what you like. If you realize you're in the presence of God, you'd shut up. Yeah. You be careful what you say. Let you be slow to, what is it? Yeah. You know, I've had an awful problem with this. I don't know about you. It's taken me a long time to discover is shut up. You know, one great preacher in the last century said, when you understand the gospel, it shuts everybody's mouth because you're standing before the power and the glory of God. And what can you say? What can you say? Job was trying to, all Job's, you know, Job is full of all these words and words and Job's comforted. You know, said Job's comforted, he's got a lot to say. An awful lot to say. But Job had to pray for them to be forgiven after all the nonsense they talked about. Because God justified him in the end. The revelation dropped into Job's heart that it wasn't his righteousness, but it was God's righteousness that would bring him out of the pit he's in. And it is Christ's righteousness, isn't it? And I was thinking, and then he goes on to say, see, so we've got to keep looking, beholding Jesus. And you know, when, when you read the, the uh, Revelation of John, and I was reading this in uh, Revelation 5, we'll come back to this two Corinthians in a minute, but Revelation 5, John is getting this revelation of him sitting at the right hand and a book written and the seals, etc. And then it says in verse 5, And one of the elders said, Weep not, why behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Then in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory. And then in verse 13, Blessing and honor, and glory and power to be him that sits on the throne. See, Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's in a glorified state. He's sitting there till all his enemies are his footstool. Well, if we are new creations and we don't seek his glory, we'll never be able to sit up there with him. If we, as I said the other morning, if you're scratching down here all the time, you never get off the ground, spiritually speaking. You're all the time dealing with all this all the time. Weights and sins. But the glory is for those. You see, Moses, in a way, he entered this before his time, didn't he? You understand? He, he, he got in the glory through faith. And if you study these patriarchs in the Old Testament, they got hold of this before the cross because they believed the gospel that was preached in Genesis 3.15. The penny dropped with them, and they got the glory. I mean, how was it that Jacob, on his way from Laban, had a whole host and company of angels? That's the glory of God. Manaheim, 
the whole angelic host. Why was it at Bethel he saw heaven open and angels ascending? That's the glory of God. What faith does, it opens you up to the glory. You see the glory. See, and it's so that you've got to develop your faith because the enemy will try and stop you entering in. You know, Henry was always saying, enter in. He didn't explain it, but he just said, enter in. <laughs> but that's what he meant. Forget about yourself and just enter in. And that, that's what we've got to do. And so if you've got a problem in here, just picture the tabernacle. Picture that blazing offer. Present your bodies, Romans 12, 1 says, a living sacrifice. And if you feel like shooting your mouth up, just zip it up. And say, Lord, what do I say? How do I handle this situation? And then you come to the, you know, you come to the uh, holy place and you've got to have the light. You've got to have revelation. You've got to have bread. And you've got to have worship. You've got to be a worshiper. You've got to be thankful. You've got to have a right attitude, haven't you? Stop, you know, you can't be a moaner and a gloaner. As, as Joyce Meyer says, if you moan and if you complain, you remain in your wilderness. And it's true. But if you can praise, you will enter your Canaan-type living, this heavenly life. And I want that, don't you? For your life? Don't you want that heavenly life? Then Paul goes on to say, in, verse, in chapter 4, verse um, 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. And then he says, this is, my, this is one of my favorite verses. This is 2 Corinthians 4.13. He says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak. You see, if we have this spirit of faith, we have this glory, and we have it. It's our inheritance. It's in us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. As Henry used to say, it's in you, and it is. It's not out there somewhere. It's not in Pensacola or Jerusalem. Go out to Jerusalem and see if Jesus... No, Jesus isn't there. He's, <laughs> he's where two or three people are gathered together. <laughs> he's where, where the company of saints are. He's walking in between where saints are worshipping and ador adoring him. And, you know, you never know when the glory is going to show up in your life. You, you just don't know. You just don't know. <laughs> you just got to keep expecting. Haven't you? You just got to keep close to Jesus. You just got to keep loving Jesus. And I tell you what, we've got to learn to love Jesus more. Haven't we? Tell him you love him. Tell the Lord that you love him. Don't love those antiques so much. Just love Jesus. <laughs> Isn't there? Just love Jesus. Don't love model trains. I always wanted to have model trains. No, love Jesus. <laughs> it could be anything, couldn't it? <laughs> Do you know this is a love affair? It is. It is a love affair. <laughs> The height of faith in 2 Peter 1, we never got to it, we got to virtue, but the top, the seventh one, is love. <laughs> Isn't it? You can't progress to love until you've done that. And, and you know, 
when we get married and we, we have wives, you know, the things about wives that irritate us, and the things about wives, the husbands that irritate us, isn't there? And I remember this brother came to our church, he said, my, my wife is getting on my nerves. He said, I think I've had enough, I'm going to leave her. I said, I said, hang on a minute, you're a Christian. <laughs> yes, he said. Well, the Bible says, husbands love your wives. He looked at me and thought, you know, some of these things, it takes discipline, doesn't it? But I tell you, it works. It definitely works. Because if you look at your wife with all this and you start loving her, suddenly she looks different. Yeah. And she will be different. Yeah. She will be different. Yeah, she definitely will. <laughs> this gospel works. <laughs> you believe it and say it, it works. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense, but it works. <laughs> Faith doesn't always make sense, but it works. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> because it's the glory of God. You know, if you were God, would you pick Abraham and Isaac to have the seed that we're Bless the whole world. Would you pick them? A barren woman? Never had any children. You say to them, your seed, you're going to have an offspring. And in that seed, Christ is going to come and he's going to bless the whole world. You wouldn't pick. Why did God pick them? Because of the glory of God. Because of the glory. They couldn't say, we did this. Oh no, they didn't. And if you want God's glory in your life, you can't do it. It's Christ in you that does it. Isn't it? It's the word of faith in you that does it. You believe the word and you speak it. And this is the problem. You see, we look at the situation, we think, well, I can't say that. But if you've got a word from God to say that, you can say it and it will change. Why? Because it's not your word, it's God's word in your mouth speaking to that mountain. Yeah, it works. We having the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. I mean, what is your problem? Jesus can fix it. He's done it. It's according to his riches where? In glory. He's got all the riches. All you've got to do is understand what's there, believe it and say it and it will come into manifestation. Yeah, but you've got to see that. What faith does, it sees the provision before you can believe it in order to speak it. But if you can't see it, you can't believe for it, can you? And the Lord's been saying to me, stop looking at your body. You know, before I came here, I, wasn't, I was telling somebody, it wasn't very well. I think I went out in the sun and, and the devil said, you can't go to uh, Peterborough, you're too ill. And you can't drive to, you can't drive to her if it to meet her. No, you better ring Alan and cancel it. This is the devil, see? He's telling you, you can't do it. But you've got to get, I said, Lord, what is this? And the Lord said to me, you walk by faith. You don't walk by sight. A new creation doesn't walk by sight. He walks by faith. He walks by the word of God. But if you haven't got the word of God in you, how in the world can you walk by faith? Because you've got to have this word in you. You've got to understand it. But then he says, knowing this, that raised up Lord Jesus shall present before all things are for your sakes, 
that the abundant grace, in verse 15, might through the thanksgiving redound unto what? The glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. True faith always glorifies God. It's a miraculous thing. We can't produce it. God does it. And that's glory. It's beyond our thinking, our imagination, he said, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal, what? Weight of glory. This word glory keeps coming up the whole time. It's everywhere. And you've got to understand, why we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, we have a heavenly calling. We have a high calling. And I understand not, not everybody's going to make it. They're not willing to do the groundwork. No. They don't want to pray that long. They don't want to read the word enough that long. They don't want to study that long. They don't want to meditate enough. I can tell you, you can read something, but until you meditate on it, it doesn't go from here. Meditation puts it in your heart, puts it in your spirit. You know, the old preachers used to say, meditation uh, is what uh, chews the cud until you get the sweetness out of it. Got to keep chewing it. Keep chewing it until the penny drops. <laughs> keep chewing it. Isn't it? You, meditation is something you could do. You can walk about, you can walk now by this river Nene, well, it's too hot at the moment, but you can walk by there and you could just think about this and you keep thinking about it. And then suddenly, light comes. You think, wow, that's right. That's mine in Christ. I can have that. But if you don't study it, and you don't meditate it, you won't have it. Because you'll see something in the Word, and then tomorrow you'll forget it. It's gone. But if you can meditate it, and put it on your hard drive in here, put it on your disk in here, You can get it out when you need it. <laughs> but if you don't put it in there, it won't come out. You've got to put it on, haven't you? The Word of God has got to be digested. As I said to you what Joel said, it's time for the meat offering and the drink offering to come back to the house of God. <laughs> Isn't it? It's time we start eating and drinking. Why? Because when we walk by faith, we glorify Him. Wonderful thing, isn't it? That when we can glorify God, and that's what God wants to do, to be glorified in you. And Jesus prayed that prayer, the glory I have with my Father, I give to them. That's you. That same glory. And I think it's wonderful. You know, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, a prisoner, the only apostle left alive, the only one that wasn't martyred, he gets this tremendous revelation of the glorified Christ. I was thinking, what a revelation he had. And Jesus is speaking personally to him. Revelation's got a lot of red letters in it, isn't it? Got a lot of red letters in it. <laughs> it's Jesus speaking personally to John. Well, I'd like Jesus to speak personally to me, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, let's start loving the Lord, isn't it? Let's start worshipping him and asking him, to reveal himself to us more. Let's get closer to the Lord like John did. And we will see the glory of God. 
We will see it in the face of Jesus Christ. For we all with open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And because and he goes on in this chapter and he says in verse 7, 5, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Then he says in verse 17, Therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away and all things become new. Do you believe you're a new creation this morning? Do you believe you're a new man and woman in God? God has put a new nature in you. You've got a new heart. And written on that heart is this word. It's this living word. And this word is living. He says the word of God is creative, active, powerful. And when we believe it, is, is, uh, that, that scripture says, if we having the same spirit of faith, it says, according as it written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. And I can see now, I can see that you can reign then in life by Jesus Christ. You see, one of the problems for us as the church is they don't quite understand why Adam's sin has affected them so much. Don't quite get it, do they? And this is the problem. And, and what Paul is trying to say in Romans 5, he's trying to, trying to drive this point home and say to us, he says in Romans um, 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You see, we've got to understand that you were in Adam, but you're now in Christ. That you were a child of Adam, but now you're a child of God in Christ. And then he goes on to say, he says this, For until the law sin was in the world, death, death, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, etc., and he says, For if through the offense of one, as Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many, and not as it was by the one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, and he says, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. So we have received an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. We've got to understand what we've been given, haven't we? And this is this grace, as we said before, is the power source of the whole kingdom of God. It runs the whole the kingdom of God. You see, and this is what the old preachers used to say in Genesis three fifteen, when God gave that declaration that He was going to give a seed, which was His Son Jesus. I'm going to give you a seed to crush the serpent head. That was the beginning of the day of grace. That's when grace was released into the earth. Not in Matthew. Genesis 3.15. You've got to see this. 
And all those Old Testaments say it's like Noah. It says he found favor. He found grace. And because he found grace, Noah was given a word that saved him. Wasn't it? And you've got to understand that when, when Abraham believed that word of Genesis 3.15, he said, hey, Sarah, we can have this seed, you know. We can have this seed. We can have this seed. And, Jesus, and God said to him, yes, you can have it, Abraham, and you'll be a blessing, and you'll bless the whole world. Faith. Believe in. That grace was set up on the throne back then. And so you've got people in the church and they dismiss the Old Testament and then they wonder why they can't live the life of faith because the very root of what they believe goes right back to the beginning. You understand? It's like cutting the root off and think, why wouldn't the thing grow? Of course it won't grow if you cut the root off. Can't. And you see, so what the old saints would say, that Adam lived in this state of innocence. He lived in a state of innocence, right? But he lost it. He was no longer innocent because he knew what he, good and evil, didn't he? He, he, he? he blew it. Completely blew it. He now knew, and suddenly he was under a curse. You've got to understand this. He was cursed. Everything he did, he had to work for. Thistles, weeds, all this trouble came into the world, didn't it? Before that, it was perfection. It was paradise. He didn't have to work. He didn't have to go to Marks and Spencer's and buy any clothes. He had the glory of God. Didn't have to measure up for trousers or anything. Nothing. He, he, he had every provision in his life. He was just clothed with the glory. Everything just grew. He just tended it. He had to look after it. But the man blew it because he ate that tree. Well, you say to me, why was that tree there? Good question. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question that is. But between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there was what was called the pre-cosmic fall. And that fall was the fall of Lucifer from heaven. And you can read all about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 36 or 24. And these two prophets give you the revelation exactly how Lucifer fell. But he caused a lot of trouble when he fell. Absolute chaos. Darkness covered the earth, it said. And with him fell, as we said in North Wales, a third of the angels. All the heavenly worship team got split that morning. <laughs> yeah, big split in the heavens. The worship team got messed up. Lucifer was in charge of all the worship. <laughs> there was chaos up there. But but guess who's replaced him in the worship team? George. <laughs> well, all true worshippers have replaced him in the worship team. Haven't <laughs> you? He doesn't like us because he's been replaced. <laughs> he didn't like it when God said, I'm going to give you another seed, they're going to crush him. He, who wants to be crushed? Would you like to be crushed? No, he didn't like that announcement. And he caused trouble from number one. He, tr he caused trouble from number one. He, he caused trouble straight away. <laughs> didn't he? And so I believe the tree of the knowledge and evil was there to test Adam. 
Adam was on probation to see whether he would obey God. And of course, that covenant that Adam had was called a covenant of works because he had to work it, didn't he? He had to replenish the earth, be fruitful and multiply, and don't touch that tree. And it's better for you and I that we don't touch any tree that's good and evil. Because if you eat something good, as often said, and there's evil in it, you're in trouble. Because our Father, every good and perfect gift, cometh down from our Father with him, there's no variance, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. So it's better for you to go to your Father, for is your source, isn't it? Where Christians get in trouble is they eat something that's not good. Isn't it? Well, the problem is now, Adam is in this state, and, and that state of innocence is ruined, and now we're in the state of the fall, what they call the state of the fall. He's fallen, isn't he? But then Genesis 3.15 comes, and you've got what's called the state of the recovery. Sanctification, you're being recovered. You're being restored to the image of Christ. When God puts his, just, his faith, robe of righteousness, now you're still the same person. He's just wiped out your account of sin. And now he's going to not only impute righteousness to you, by sanctification he's going to impart it to you. You're going to get more and more righteous conscious to know what's right and know what's wrong. So you don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You go to the word of God, which is the tree of life. And you eat that which is good. And when you eat that which is good, you will be okay. You'll be fine. And so we're in a state of recovery. It's called the day of grace. This is the day of grace we're in. And that's why Paul says, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. Yes, Satan tried to kill Joseph, didn't he? Stirred up his brothers. He tried to kill, he killed Abel, the first martyr. That's the work of Satan through Cain. I mean, he, he tried everything. And as, as one great old Christian writer says, you can see the effect and the depth of sin and the effect it had on man and, and the corruptness of sin because when God wiped out the whole of creation uh, and wiped out the race, the human race and saved only eight people, that's Noah, a just man, a righteous man, Grace saved him. By grace he was saved. By grace we are saved. And when Adam came out and he looked at the world, it had been hit by 16 tsunamis. It was absolutely gone. Wouldn't it? You imagine now you coming out the ark after being in there before, and now you come out and you just look at the landscape. But you know what God said to him? I'm blessing you. And do you know what the, God, the blessing of God did on Noah's life? It caused him to prosper. It caused him to be fruitful. It caused him to replenish the whole earth. The blessing of God. That's grace. That's favor. And that's why the old saint said, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace that leads to the glory. Because when you obey God, God is glorified and he blesses you. And you get blessed. And there's the eternal state coming. We're in this day of grace. And this day of grace is running out. And suddenly there's going to be an eternal state. We sang it on that song, didn't we? 
that first song you sung, what, is, what are those words, wonderful words on the end of that song about um, the, getting a more understanding of eternity and the love of God, isn't it? Something in that song there, in the second verse, isn't that that first song? You see, the thing about it is, this one. Yeah, it's, it's in this song. This person wrote this song. I don't know who wrote it. George wrote this. Roy. Good gracious. Roy. Yes, it says, And while eternity's unfolding, His glories I'm beholding. Well, that's the words of the Spirit, isn't it? While eternity's unfolding, His glories I'm beholding. You see... What John saw in the Revelation, he saw the glory, but he saw eternity, didn't he? The revelation that God gave to John was, it was, was tremendous. And what we've got to grasp is, if we have been saved by grace, if God has declared you righteous, and if God the Holy Spirit is saying to you, walk with me, and I'll set you apart, I'll sanctify you, I will give you the glory. Isn't it? I, I want the glory, don't you? But you know, I, I, I mess it up sometimes. I do. I know that I'm in a process. I seem to do quite well for three or four days and then something will sidetrack me. Oof. And it's irritating. But I'm, I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to see this. I'm starting to see that actually... What I am in Christ, you see, we've got a representative man in the glory. It's, he, he, was the, he, is the, he is the son of God, but he's also a glorified man, if you can get what I mean. Isn't he? Jesus, in his humanity, it's a new creation, you see. It wasn't in being before this creation. You understand? What, what, he's, what the scripture calls it is the first begotten from the dead. And we're all begottens. And this, this, this new creation is greater than that Adamic angel, innate, uh, creation because Adam had to work it. We don't have to work it, we just receive it. You understand? It's by faith. By grace you say through faith. Now religion says you've got to work it. That's religion. You can't work to get to heaven. It's a gift, as we just read it. We've been given the gift Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. But when you're given a gift, what are you going to do with it? Isn't it? Are you going to use it wisely? Are you going to invest your time in God? Is it worth it? You understand what I'm saying? It's like if you were given a million pounds, you could waste it easy, couldn't you? And people have. But if you could invest it wisely, and the spirit is an investor, as I said, but the flesh is a gambler, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, the flesh will gamble. Yeah. Yeah. How many things have we seen happen in the church? Oh dear, I better not mention any things. How many things have we seen happen? Oh dear. No, no. It's important that we understand these things. There's just a, something I want to read to you from this here. Um, because I believe, you know, that one of the problems we got is that 
we've got to understand that we have an enemy that doesn't want you to have your inheritance. He wants to take your inheritance from you. He wants to steal it from you because he's a thief. And so what you've got to do, you've got to hold on to what you have with all, you know, hold fast, I think the scripture says, to that which you have, lest any man steal your crown. Because really it's a crown of glory, isn't it? What you've got is, is, the, is the biggest thing. Because I don't think there's anything else that's going to take you from here to glory. No, it's not going to be um, Branson and his rocket. It's, it's, going to be, it's, it's going to be the Lord's going to take you, isn't it? <laughs> the only person that can take us to... We're on our way. And as, as Roy says in that song, we're getting a, a more awareness of eternity... And the glory that's there. Now John gives us a sort of preview in the book of Revelation of the glory and eternity. But you see, the problem where is that if we let... and this, What grace does, you see, it supplies. It supplies everything you need. Grace is the power source of the kingdom. So in the kingdom is everything you need. So it, provide, it supplies what you need, grace... But it's the love of Jesus, our great high priest, who gives it to you. It's Jesus who gives it to you, isn't it? But it's faith that takes it. You see? You've got to have faith to take it. You know, it's like the woman with the issue of blood. She saw the shopping trolley going by with all the goods in. And she said, I'm going to get hold of that trolley. She saw a healing going by in Jesus. Other people saw, saw some, nothing going by. But her faith saw the supply in Jesus. Isn't it? And you've got to see that Jesus is your supplier. Grace supplies, love gives, but it's faith that takes. And, and, and I'm, I, you know, I, when, when we're facing difficulties in our life, and we've got some things, and I know some, a lot of you got things, and... and um, we, we, we have issues to deal with and, and things to deal with, uh, you see. But what we've got to understand is that the Word of God divides spirit and soul and matter. See, it's dividing off from you your attention away from that which is fleshly and seeing things in the spirit. That's the power of the Word of God. It, 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 it's able to cut through isn't it? It's what, it's what circumcises your heart to believe then, isn't it? You know, it, it, it's like a heart that wants to function but is covered by too much flesh. And so what circumcision, it takes the flesh off, it cuts it off. So your flesh, so your heart can believe and see the provision that you've got in God. And so I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would say to you, well, yes, we've been, we, God is wanting to bring many sons to glory. You see, we don't glorify God when we don't do what God wants. We don't glorify God when we don't take what he's provided. Do we? We're not, we're not glorifying him. Because Jesus is saying, well, I did all this for you. So I'm asking the Lord to help me to cleave to Jesus more. I think there's a big secret. It's very simple, this, isn't it? Cleave to Jesus more and say, and just say, I love you. Oh, there's a butterfly. Oh, the butterflies are coming. (laughs) 
Christ. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> oh, no, we're not caterpillars. We, we are de butterflies. <laughs> but we're, we're better than butterflies because butterflies don't last very long. We're going to last for eternity. <laughs> we're going to last for eternity. Isn't it? It's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, I tell you, this, is, this, this salvation is tremendous. Keep looking into it. Keep looking into this perfect law of liberty, James says. And you will be sure to have it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. See, the mirror of God's word looks inside to see the inner man. So that you can see what you have in Christ. So praise the Lord. The Lord is good. And he'll help us to enter in and receive what we got, isn't it? What he has for us. He's got a good plan for each one of us, hasn't he? He wants you to have the glory. And everything's in the glory. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing what the Lord has done for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled that this, uh, the Lord will help us. But as Harriet was saying, Romans 1 to 4 is justification. Romans 5 is assurance. If you want to get assurance, study Romans 5 because it says, you were in Adam, you're now in Christ. Romans 6 is the new man. You've got to know you're a new man. Romans 7 sorts the law out. Because a lot of people get hung up on the law. <laughs> the law was never meant to save you. Paul says it quite clearly. It was just brought along to codify sin. And Romans 8 is the sons of God and the perseverance of the saints. You see, having become an heir... Having been justified, and you're being sanctified in your process of you become adopted. And because you're adopted, you become an heir. And you're a joint heir. And everything Jesus has, you can have. It's wonderful, isn't it? And this is what the gospel is leading us on to. But then we're not only being called as adopted in children, we've been called as priests to God. And we, all of us, to minister to the Lord as we've heard. And we can worship God and we can enter in and we can praise God and worship God. And that's what we're supposed to do in our life. So Lord help us, isn't it? These days when you go home, just keep praising God. And as you open it, don't, don't read one verse. Read the whole epistle. You know, it was some bishop in 1200 that made all these chapters and, and divided it all up. And it was some Frenchman in a carriage in the 19th who put all the verses in. <laughs> and, and you know it, it's one book the Bible is one book it's 66 books but it's one book <laughs> and it, it's all about Jesus Amen. and I, as I said to Paul I say to people at home when I do I say don't depersonalize the word of God this is all about Jesus when you read it it's Jesus <laughs> He's the seed, as we said in North Wales, he's the seed of the woman. And he's the king of kings in Revelation. He went from just being a seed to be the king of kings. Isn't it wonderful? That Jesus came down to where we are to get us up to where he is. Isn't it? Came down to where we are to get us up to where he is. And so we are the children of God this morning, aren't we? Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord, this morning for your wonderful plan of salvation 
There's not one flaw in this plan. It's a perfect plan. It cannot fail. It's not based upon our works, but you did it. You completed it. You finished the work. And we thank you, Lord, that if anybody's here today and they're not sure about this plan, (laughs) they can be sure that Jesus, at every promise, is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. That when Jesus says it, he means it. And he's able to save us to the uttermost. And we thank you, Lord, for all your provision. We pray, Lord, your blessing on the meeting tonight that you'll anoint it. That people will rise to a new level. They realize who they are. They're sons and daughters of the living God, called to be kings and priests under God. And you know, the vision I have is that if you can get your tabernacle functioning and the glory working in you, and we have all these people with all their tabernacles functioning, and everyone experience the glory of God, and we all come together, there will be an explosion. Yeah. If we could all get together, and all function, and all have everything, something in your spiritual fridge, and something you can cook and bring out when you need it, And I tell you what, we're going to have a feast. (laughs) Yeah. And when people come in, they'll say, this is the power of God. This is the power of God. This is the glory of God. So praise God. The Lord bless you today and be with you. (laughs) The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and it addeth no sorrow with it. (laughs) No sorrow. No sorrow. (laughs) The blessing of the Lord, isn't it? Are you blessed? (laughs) Yes, we're blessed. (laughs) With all spiritual blessings. Hallelujah. We're blessed. It's wonderful. Hallelujah.